If their ages had been added together, it would have been more than three hundred years. After every seance, I had to open the windows to blow out the old people's smell. I got a chair for the stranger and sat him at the end of the table. Of course, I made sure that his back was toward the huge wardrobe that stood against the wall. Mr. Stevenson leaned forward and shouted at him, Are you a believer, sir? I believe what I see, said the stranger. Well, see this, said Mr. Stevenson, bristling like a porcupine. But his wife calmed him down. She patted his hand and told the stranger, Henry's hoping to contact Paul Revere tonight. You see, Henry's a bug about Paul Revere, and... I'm not a bug, said Mr. Stevenson. I'm interested. Oh, he only knows more about Paul Revere than anyone alive. Mrs. Stevenson smiled at her husband. He's frightened that a non-believer might block the spirits. They do that, you know. I assure you, I will block no spirits, said the stranger. I left them at the table, went out, and shut the door. Then I sprinted down the hall to the vestibule and snatched the stranger's hat from the chair. The sweatband was still warm. I peeled it away with my thumb, bending it back to look for a name underneath. When I found it, I smiled. The first initial was blurry from sweat, but the rest was easy to read. J. Brown. I turned to the overcoat next. I rifled every pocket, but all I got was a hat check stub from the Limelight Club and a Chuckles candy wrapped in lint. But there was a hole in the right-hand pocket, so I groped through the lining and found two curious things. The first was a small metal ring. The second, a sticky ball of lint and mold. Now this was the sort of puzzle that I liked to solve. By itself, the ring didn't seem important. But I figured if the green stuff was an old biscuit, then maybe the ring came from a dog tag. I imagined Mr. Brown stuffing his pockets with chuckles and biscuits, picking up a leash, whistling for Annie. He wouldn't have been the first person to come to Madam King about a dead dog. It happened nearly every month, someone showing up to speak to a dog or cat, or even a budgie that had gone along to Summerland. But once, I had made a mistake. An old lady had sat in that same chair in the vestibule, sobbing so loudly that I could hardly understand her. I figured she was talking about a dog called Rover, so my mother had held her hands and said that Rover was happy in the world beyond. He chases rabbits all day long, she'd said. I can see him right now, lying in long grass. Yes, lying there, licking himself. The old lady had let out a horrible shriek. She'd left in a huff, and I'd found Mother laughing in her chair, just sitting there crying with laughter. It wasn't Rover, she'd said. It was Grover, her husband. Now I was as careful as I could be. I replaced the stranger's things just where I'd found them, even the linted chuckles, because there really were people so dishonest that they'd try to fool a medium 
I hung the coat on a peg and went quickly through Mrs. Figg's handbag, looking for theater stubs and photographs. I was just starting on Mrs. Hardy's black purse when my mother came to the vestibule door. I showed her the metal ring and the name inside the hat. Are you sure that's a J? It looks like an I, she said. Oh, darn you, Mr. Brown. Why can't you write your whole name, you bonehead? Just call him Mr. Brown, I said. Tell him Annie is happy. Annie doesn't want him to worry. Yes, that's good, said Mother. She put on her shawl, sweeping it over her head. The cloth fluttered down on top of her red curls, and she tied the ends loosely below her chin. Then she smiled and touched my arm. I don't know what I'd do without you, Scooty, she said.